welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their awesome hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 122. What are your passions? If somebody asked you that, so what are you passionate about, what would you say? I'm going to guess that if you're listening to this podcast, you'd say hunting or fishing or archery or trad bows or saddle hunting. I don't know. You know, one of those things would probably come up if, if somebody asked you that question. And for me, I would definitely say hunting is my main passion. But fishing is starting to slide up there just a little bit. Uh, and I think it's partly because I've been ruined on the family farm pond that my wife has. <laughs> uh, went up there and we caught a bunch of fish there a couple weeks ago. I think I told you about that. My, my daughter uh, casted and caught this really nice uh, bass, and that was pretty cool. And so I've, I've decided, you know what, I want to learn this a little bit more. And, and, I, and I can see how it's a passion, but it is... To me, it's a little daunting. I go into the local tackle shop, Hornbeck's, just right down the road from me. We have a great bait shop. And it is just covered wall to wall, aisle to aisle, with all of this fishing stuff that I just know nothing about. There's fake worms, there's live worms, there's fly baits, there's cranks, crank baits, there's, and I don't even know what these things are. I had to go in the other day and just fess up to the guy that's there. He's like, what are you looking for? I was like, I have no idea, and I need you to sh- tell me what I'm looking for. <laughs> so he kind of taught me about you know the basics of bass fishing, some of the things that I would need in order to do that. And sure enough, this past weekend, I went up wife's family pond, and uh, was able to catch a bass using a plastic, used a little frog kind of thing, and nailed it right near the shoreline. And I was just pumped. I mean, I've caught them using worms before, but I kind of feel like bobber and worms. That's just kind of your standard thing. It's fun. Uh, I caught a bunch of bluegill, but I wanted to. I really want to learn that next step. And so it's kind of. I just kind of developing that passion a little bit, and that's something I'm starting to enjoy. I bring that up because today's guest has two main passions. I think his job is one passion, and the second passion is a very particular form of, of hunting. I'll get to that. But his job is unique. Uh, he likes to, his job is called Archery Strong, and I encourage you guys to check that out on his website. He's going to tell you all about that. Our guest's name is Christian Williams. No relation of mine that I know of, um, but Christian started Archery Strong to help rehabilitate archers who have uh, got shoulder injuries, elbow issue, issues. Um, things like that. He'll talk all about how he helps people uh, rehabilitate, but also prevent those kind of things. So if you just like to shoot and you're kind of afraid, hey, I could maybe start to feel some things in my back that aren't right, uh, he does uh, some online courses and some amazing stuff on his website that you guys need to check out for a very good price, I believe, um, that could be very beneficial. So Christian's going to talk about that passion, but his second passion is bow hunting groundhogs. You heard that right, bow hunting groundhogs. And so we have a great conversation about chasing groundhogs out in these fields with a bow. He even uses a recurve bow. And we dive into some of the stories behind that, tactics, and just some fun conversation. And I think that you guys are definitely going to enjoy hearing about that, also about how to keep yourself healthy while shooting. And then we also get into some deer stories and just some general conversation about you know, how to use our passions in a good way. You know, the things that we get a passion, they can become addictions, <laughs> but how do we make sure that we're using them in a good way, maybe even to help others? And that's what Christian does. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in. Here is Christian Williams. Well, guys, I'm happy to have online Christian Williams from Central Pennsylvania. Christian, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to having a good conversation with you, Travis. Yeah. Now, I don't know if we're cousins or not. We do share the same last name. Uh, <laughs> I think it's. I think it might be like the third or fourth most popular last name in yep. the U.S. So I think you're right. It's I didn't, somewhere along the way. I didn't realize it was that popular. I mean, I knew it was, obviously, I knew it was popular, but I looked up the other day. I think you're, yeah, I think it's number three. Like, Smith yes. might be ahead of Jones. us, maybe Jones. Yeah, yep. so can't keep up with the Joneses, but the Williamses were up there, so. There you go. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, Christian. Give us a little bit of your background and uh, what you're into and all that fun stuff. Yeah, sure. So, uh, like you said, I'm from central Pennsylvania. I uh, recently moved here from not far away. I uh, grew up in western Pennsylvania my whole life. And uh, finding a new new life here with uh, a new bride from August. Mm, congratulations. And, and thank you. Thank you. Um, two, two of my biggest passions that have stuck with me for a long time, uh, I guess the majority of my life uh, up to this point, 
have been the outdoors and uh, fitness. So those are two things that I spend most of my free time doing. Uh, and again, you know, relating to the new bride, thankfully she's very patient with it and encourages me with it. And that, uh, has also spawned my business archery strong that I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, but, uh, it's, they have been two things, fitness and the outdoors that have just really been an awesome opportunity to learn about myself, learn about the world, uh, practice skills, go through hardships and, and, um, and move through those. And, uh, I think that those things are just awesome in life. You know, the, the different avenues or, or platforms, as I like to call them, that allow you to, again, learn things and better yourself and have fun while doing it. So those are two yeah. things that really, really play a big role for me. And I think will fuel a lot of our conversation here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you think about those two two concepts, even though they're different, they are very similar. They both require uh, some dedication. <laughs> uh, case in point, like today, I went to the gym and I hadn't done it for a while. I hadn't been in the gym. I, I, I went one time last week. Gym was closed. Oh, it wasn't closed. I forgot my key and nobody was there. So I ended up running in a park and I did way more actually at the park than what I did at the gym. And I burned myself out. Like I was sore. <laughs> so I got back in there today and it was, it was a slow moving day. And I feel like that with the bow sometimes too, like sure. you pick up the bow and you haven't shot it in a while and your groups are about, you know, wider than a pie plate. You're like, what is going on? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I can, I can see some overlap there. Yeah. I am continually amazed really each day with the parallels that I see between the two, uh, you know, going back to what I mentioned there, just as far as the skills that are involved, the dedication, the consistency, um, the, the fine details and the technique of both of those disciplines, they definitely support and feed each other uh, Mm -hmm. very well. And I really enjoy diving into those and getting better and learning new things and always trying to grow with them. Well, I want to get into that. I am curious. This just popped in my head. What was it like planning a wedding during COVID, though? Uh, I got to hear. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, admittedly, uh, my wife really put that on her back. I, you know, of course, was there for support and was there mm-hmm. when she needed me. But uh, she was the one that that spearheaded it. And there were certainly some difficulties and some adjust- adjustments that had to be made and a lot of uncertainties, as you can imagine. Yeah. But really everything went as smoothly as we could have possibly wanted. Um, there, or the reception, the wedding, um, everything went, went to plan and, and didn't have many hiccups related to COVID, uh, nice. that, that messed anything up. So it was great. It, we, we really were blessed with that. That's for sure. Oh, good. Well, tell us a little bit about, so you kind of mentioned it, we're going to dive into it right now. So archery strong, what is, you know, if you go to archerystrong.com, uh, there's a picture of a guy without a shirt on getting ready to draw a bow. Is that you? That is me. That is <laughs> nice. Me. <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us about archery strong, man. Yeah. So archery strong is a business that I started almost three years ago and at its core, archery strong addresses the physical components of the archer and how we can maximize those physical components in the archer to enjoy archery more, enjoy, enjoy archery longer, enjoy it without issues, and to succeed in archery to the best of that individual's ability. So yeah. there are two things that I primarily focus on, or maybe I'll say three, I'll say three. Uh, the first is pain relief. So I work with a lot of individuals who have shoulder pain and, and some that have elbow pain, but shoulder pain is the big one. So with shoulder pain, the shoulders I describe are essentially the powerhouse of archery. They're where most of the stress, load, tension, etc., cetera, uh, are, is placed So those shoulders can often break down. Right. So the goal there is to work with that individual to find the problem, address the problem and get rid of the problem. The second thing that I work with uh, for Archery Strong is injury prevention. So might have an archer that is healthy, is feeling good, not having issues and wants to stay that way. So uh, the goal there is to maximize shoulder function, how those shoulders work, 
upper back as well, the, the whole uh, shoulder girdle and upper body truly, and making sure that everything is up to par with where it needs to be to withstand the demands of archery. Mm -hmm. And then the final, the third and final piece that I focus on is a performance component. And this is a component that's often more for the serious archer who shoots a lot. I work with some target archers, some competitive archers in maximizing their strength, their stability, their stamina to be able to have successful practice sessions and to be able to perform, uh, whether it's on the range, at a competition, et cetera. So uh, those are the, the three big heads so to speak, of Archie Strong and, and what I try to address. And this is all done through archery-specific strength and shoulder function training. So it's, mm. I do not, I do, not uh, do archery coaching. I'm not a, an archery technique coach. I am looking at those bare bones requirements of the shoulders, shoulder girdle, upper back, core, et cetera, everything in the upper body to make sure that everything again is working within the lines of what we need to do to be able to shoot a bow well and to be able to shoot a bow well repetitively over the course of arrows sessions seasons years etc what, what that did you all, go ahead let me, quick question what did you do before archery strong it sounds like you have a background in some sort of exercise science or something like that yeah yeah so what all fueled archery strong and, and has led me to to this place is that i got into fitness at a young age and just really fell in love with lifting and using my body and seeing what i could do uh, with with my body and that pushed me to go to uh, school for exercise physiology so Went to college for that, earned a degree there. And then the big thing that has really allowed me to do this is that for about five years, I worked in a sports injury and sports performance office where my job was to do movement assessments, which essentially means testing the individual for how they move, how they function, where weak links are, where deficits are, et cetera. And then giving them and prescribing them exercises and exercise protocols to fix any issues that were identified in the assessment. So I did that for about five years and along the way for just about as long or, or even a little bit longer, I've also done a variety of different strength and conditioning coaching, uh, sports performance coaching, Olympic weightlifting coaching, uh, a variety of realms or a variety of, of coaching styles in the fitness and uh, strength and conditioning realm. And basically wrapping all of that into experiences that have allowed me to look at archery in a different way and train archers in a little bit of a different way than uh, what has really been been seen uh, in the archery world. Yeah. So it seems very like geared and tailored toward it. Yeah, so, so all of those experiences with movement and corrective exercise and strength and conditioning uh, is the foundation for what I look for in archers and prescribed archers in the way that I train archers. So that, I always say that those experiences in sports injury, sports performance, strength and conditioning, et cetera, have really just been uh, invaluable for uh, having a different perspective and a different tool set to bring to the archery world to make sure that archers, again, can shoot without pain, can shoot uh, in a way that their body is able to perform at its top level. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think this is very needed. And, and the reason I say that is because I know of two buddies who have had shoulder surgery. So the reason you and I connected in the first place was Travis Shire had to have shoulder surgery. And that's partly because of his job. But a lot of it is him, you know, he's shot a, th a thousand shots and that's probably like within a month you know with his recurve bow you know and then I have another buddy Eric and I know several other folks who especially in the trad world it seems like but not even I know it's not just there I know compound shooters also experience this but it just seems like there's a lot of folks that I know that are having these injuries and for a little while while I was shooting a trad bow I started to get a little bit in the elbow and what yeah. I noticed on your your website 
you got four weeks of customized training for any goal, but you also have uh, uh, a program for fixed elbow pain, four weeks general program for just stability. And then you also have another thing for fixed shoulder pain and shoulder dysfunction. So it uh, kind of seems like you are gearing it toward just like the common things that people experience when, you know, shooting a bow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as I mentioned there earlier, and you touched on as well, uh, the big one is the shoulders and then the elbows do show up as well. And, you know, I, I like to make the point that the, the ultimate goal of this is to make sure that people can enjoy this passion uh, that we were talking about earlier. You know, for a lot of us, a lot of the people listening, uh, archery, bow hunting, target archery, whatever it may be, is what we get excited about, right? It's what we look forward to. It's what we think about during the work day. It's what we plan for and it's where we spend our hard-earned paychecks. And there's, there's few things that can take that away from us. But one of those, unfortunately, is pain, injury, and poor, poor performance. And that typically lies in deficits and weak links and issues in the archer themselves. You know, none of us are perfect. None of us have perfectly functioning shoulders and elbows and upper bodies, uh, including myself. And without the proper resources, without the necessary tools, those things can creep up on us and, and they can cause issues that can prevent us from enjoying archery and enjoying bow hunting. And it's my goal to make sure that that never happens, or at least yeah. that doesn't happen for the people that I am lucky enough to get in contact with and work with. What would you say? I want to ask you just one question related to this. And sure. then if people want more information, I encourage them to go to archerystrong.com and check out your stuff. But what's the biggest mistake you think most guys make or girls make whenever it comes to archery? Is there a common thing that you have seen that causes, you know, these problems to start? Is it form too much weight? uh improper technique you know what what do you think is like the the main culprit of some of this most of the issues that you come across christian sure and i'll start by saying that that's a really good question and my my initial answer will be broad but then i'll give you a specific answer that that you asked for and the reason why i say the initial answer will be broad is because everything that you said there plays a role and does show up uh Mm -hmm. technique form too much poundage all of these, all of those things that you had mentioned and more play a role in individuals having issues and and having problems when it comes to archery. However, the primary thing I see, and it's really simple on a surface level, more complex when you get down into it. But the primary thing that I see is that many of us, including myself at times, view archery as a simple non-demanding task where we think hey you know I love archery I love to shoot my bow I'm going to go out I'm going to shoot my bow I'm going to shoot my bow a lot yep I'm going to shoot my bow to get better and the thing that will often get individuals into trouble is that archery is a repetitive load activity by nature and what I mean by that is when we go out to shoot our bow, at least for practice, not for hunts, but for practice, when we go out to shoot our bow, we don't shoot it once, we don't shoot it twice. Most of us are shooting at least half a dozen or a dozen arrows, if not many, many more. Yep. And what ends up happening is that it's not that shooting one arrow is typically the issue. It's that the repetitive load, arrow after arrow, draw after draw, shot after shot, builds stress in the tissues, the joints, the muscles, etc., And we all have to have a certain threshold or a certain amount of tolerance for that load that is accumulating. The way I describe it is if you picture a dam and then you picture the water level that is rising on a dam. All of us have a certain thickness and height to our dam. And the more we shoot, the more poundage we shoot, the higher that water level is rising. Mm. And as you can picture, as you're, you're hearing us talk about this, if that dam is not equipped, if it's not big enough, if it's not fortified enough to withstand the water level that you're taking on, 
then as you can imagine, you're going to run into problems. So what ends up happening is the tissues, joints, muscles, ligaments, et cetera, aren't equipped in some individuals to handle the amount of shooting that you want to do. And as you said, uh, when you asked the question, uh, of course, poundage and arrow volume and technique, and all of these things are very important and they play a role. However, I've worked with individuals who uh, are, are coaches. Uh, so they, they know their form, they know their technique, they're shooting light bows, they're shooting um, very reasonable uh, arrow volumes, but they're still running into problems. And whether it's that individual or it's somebody who's shooting a high poundage, high arrow volume, et cetera, we have to look and make sure that that archer has equipped, again, those tissues, muscles, ligaments, et cetera, to handle this repetitive load activity that we're doing. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, I'll go back to the thought or the idea that we don't, we don't often look at as, we don't look at archery as a demanding uh, activity, right? Well, I draw and I shoot and it, you know, I don't get out of breath. It's not overly strenuous, but the, the snake in the weeds there is the repetition. And, and that's where it all builds. That's where that water level of, of stress, so to speak, rises. And eventually, if not equipped to withstand that water level, that dam will give way, crack, etc and and that's where pain issues injury uh begin to show themselves gotcha that makes sense and i I think it's it's uh the reason that whenever i was in football they did conditioning and they followed conditioning by two a days they were trying to prepare us for the actual game and i think uh sometimes with archery there's that we're preparing to release one arrow (laughs) so but most of the work is actually on the front end you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's almost reversed and so i think there's some good tips there that you give and i'd encourage guys to check out your your website it's very i like it's just crisp and clean it's it's very simple and something i i would say that i like about you, you write this as your philosophy i believe the human heart possesses an innate desire for challenge and adventure and so I want to, want to kind of transition to is to hearing about some of your adventures. <laughs> so how did you get this passion for archery in the first place? <laughs> oh, it's, it's one of my favorite stories. And this is where before, I, before our call, I told you I might get a little long winded. But I, as I mentioned, I've enjoyed uh, the outdoors for uh, as long as I can remember, I'm, I'm blessed to have a dad that's introduced me to the outdoors. He got me into the outdoors in as many ways and in as many opportunities as he could, whether that be with hunting or fishing or hiking. So I've sp- spent a lot of time doing those different things. But what really propelled me into archery and more specifically bow hunting was that when I was a teenager I had got into uh, CrossFit and competitive Olympic weightlifting and spent some time there uh, really enjoyed that really put all my marbles into that had a lot of fun had a lot of growth um, but had a few things happen that led me to kind of pull back from it and when I did that I was searching for something else that I could invest myself into and grow into and challenge myself with, as you had just read that, that sentence there on the website. And it was that at that time that I really started to spend time behind the bow. Um, I, you know, had a bow as a kid, but, you know, never got fully, fully in depth with it and and really invested in it. But at this time I decided, Hey, this is the next thing that I really want to tackle and really want to invest my time and effort into. So I started shooting more, uh, started to, to really get excited about it. And I remember one, one day, it was beginning of June, and I was sitting at the kitchen table with my dad, and we were talking about archery and the outdoors and different things. And I said, you know, hey, dad, I'm, I'm starting to shoot some pretty good groups with my bow. And um, I, I feel like I'm doing pretty well with it and I think I'm ready to, to go hunting with it. Well, what can I hunt? 
and he just kind of smirked and he was like, bud, it's, it's June, you know, uh, <laughs> season just ended deer season's not, not going to be here for a couple months. Really. The only thing you can, can hunt is groundhogs. And he, he had a smirk the whole time he was saying this and he said, well, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty tough. You know, they, they can be pretty tricky. I said, Oh, well, that sounds awesome. I know of, a, uh, the horse farm I work at, uh, ha- has some groundhog holes out in uh, one of the fields. So I-, I think I'll try that. And sure enough, I, I got my bow. I bought some small game heads for my arrows and, uh, and out I went and out I went again, out I went, I went again and, um, well over 10, 10 hunts or 10 attempts. I hadn't even gotten within bow range of a groundhog, let alone gotten to shoot, uh, an arrow at one. And eventually, you know, as, as we all do in life, you figure out what doesn't work. You learn, well, that was a failure. What should I do different? And eventually I was able to get my first groundhog with a bow. So from there, uh, it, uh, I was just absolutely hooked. Um, I was knocking on farmers doors and going around my hometown of Mars, Pennsylvania, trying to find more places where I could uh, hunt groundhogs with a bow and just really dove dove head deep into that and what, what was I, i'm curious what were people's responses to that were you did you tell them that you're going to shoot them with a bow or what <laughs> did you get any funny responses like or weird like looks from farmers about that sort of thing <sighs> not not at that time and one of the reasons for that which will kind of propel us into into one of my next favorite stories is uh <sighs> The, the first farm that I hunted groundhogs on was a horse farm that I uh, helped, helped run since I was, oh gosh, a teenager and, and spent a lot of time there, really knew the landowner very, very well, a single older woman. And being a horse farm, she didn't like guns. Guns concerned her uh, with stray bullets, with ricocheting, etc. So she didn't allow anyone to hunt, but if she was going to allow hunting, she was going to allow archery hunting due to the fact that it tended to be more safe. So I was good there. The second farm I got permission to was a really good family friend who knew I was getting into archery. He was excited about it because he was a big archery hunter himself. So he said, hey, have at it. The third farm and the main farm that has allowed me to successfully do this and learn how to effectively hunt these things with a bow is a farm just outside of my hometown in Mars, PA. And this farm is smack dab in one of the most or one of the fastest growing townships and suburbs in the country. And that is Cranberry Township in Southwest PA. And this, this gentleman, this old farmer, he is now in his early to mid eighties. He bought the farm right out of high school from his parents and started farming with his brother. And uh, he's been there all his life, farmed it all his life. And in the meantime, the suburbs and housing developments and everything is just absolutely blowing up around him. Um, He continues to farm his land despite one acre going for up to $100,000 in that area. uh, He keeps that farm and he keeps farming it. However, because of the the sprawling housing developments and the suburbs popping up, not only is it not safe, legal, or ethical uh, to hunt with a firearm, but uh, in that area, it's unlawful to discharge a rifle just in general. So with that being the case, this farm uh, has truly become overrun with groundhogs because there uh, aren't you know, many people who are going to hunt them with anything but a rifle. So right. the groundhogs have, have just totally exploded, uh, just holes everywhere, causing issues with the land, uh, danger to farm equipment, his cattle, uh, crops, of course, etc. So he was the third door that I knocked on. And I, I remember I went there with my dad, you know, I was a teenager. He, he, he went with me and we told the farmer what he wanted to do. And I remember the farmer just hanging his head down and shaking his head and saying, Oh man, we've got hundreds of groundhogs. Please get rid of them. <laughs> and as far as he was concerned, he did not care 
uh, how I got rid of them. He just wanted wanted some of them gone or, or at least, you know, damage control done and, and keep that population at bay. So nonetheless, uh, I started farming or I started hunting uh, the, the groundhogs on that farm. And I was when I started hunting that farm, I was towards the end of my undergrad career. I was working, working just about full time at the sports injury office I had mentioned, uh, but I was keeping my schedule at all possible open each day, either morning or evening to be able to hunt that farm. And I made it a goal to try to kill and remove 100 groundhogs with a bow for that farmer this that summer wow that's incredible and it's one of the only things that i will brag about it and i I'm, I'm not ashamed to say i'm bragging about it but i i was able to do that for that farmer and Man, you know that's and, impressive and shake his hand and say you know I, I i was able to get rid of 100 groundhogs for you this summer it was over 100 groundhogs so, and i gotta get into summer I got to get into some groundhog hunting strategy here because I have one that lives underneath my shed and I have a heart. I like we've been having battles. He used to live over the hole and uh, over the hill from my house and that was fine, but now he's relocated back up underneath my shed and I can't have it. So how are you getting close to these groundhogs? Like uh, what you got any <laughs> groundhog hunting tips? Yeah. This will not be found on any other podcast, by the way, this is exclusive <laughs> to shedding light hunting stories. Go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love it. I it's, it's definitely a fun game. Um, the two biggest tips for hunting them with a bow, the first one is the first one and the most important, and it kind of relates to deer hunting is learning where the holes are on that specific farm. And of course you don't learn where, uh, deer holes are, but you learn where bedding areas are, right? Same, uh, a groundhog hole is like a bedding area for a deer. Gotcha. So the first thing is, is learning and I, I memorize the holes uh, on specific farms, just knowing where they're at. That's the first key. Then okay. the second key when hunting them with a bow is finding the best route that you can take to approach those holes with a goal of trying to get as close to that hole as possible before you can ever see it. So okay. if I know... I just parked my truck and I know that there's a group or a, a line of holes, just like you have a scrape line. I know there's a line of holes in this part, on this part of the farm. What route can I take that I can get as close as possible without me ever seeing those holes, which in turn means those groundhogs never see me because a groundhog will pick you off. No problem without any issues or concerns from 200 yards plus away. Uh, if they're not already down in their hole, they're very well aware that you're coming towards them and you're never going to get within bow range. So right. yeah. knowing where those holes are, I figure out that best route and there's never a best route for every single hole. You kind of have to cut your losses and pick the majority or pick the ones that you want to want to target. And then it's taking that route, being as quiet and as stealthy as possible. Wind in your face is best, but it doesn't always work that way taking that route and getting getting as close to that hole as you can within bow range getting ready and then you take those extra couple steps for that that hole that's in front of you and seeing if that groundhog is out whether he's out feeding whether he's standing up whether he's just poking his head out of the hole if he's not out and uh, providing an available shot then it's creeping along and moving to the next one seeing if okay. that groundhog's out providing uh, an available shot. If not, that process just continues. And I like to make the comparison to bass fishing where I heard once that with bass fishing, a lot of times 10% of the lake holds 90% of the bass, hmm. meaning that most of the, in most of the lake, there's not many bass, but when you find those pockets or those, those areas of good habitat, that's where they are. Okay. Same thing with groundhogs. So, you know, for instance, I went, I went groundhog hunting um, today's Tuesday, right? I went groundhog hunting last night and I knew that there were two spots that I really wanted to try to uh, approach and hunt the best that I could. One of those was pretty close to where my park was trucked or where my truck was parked, excuse me. <laughs> and from there, parked my truck, got out of the truck, made, made my, 
uh, route that I wanted to take. And I was able to uh, get one from that first, from that first uh, attempt, I would say. And then from there, the next area that I wanted to hunt wasn't uh, any closer than oh, probably two, 300 yards. So long walk, getting it set up, planning out the route, getting in the right spot to start it, and then made that pass through uh, or along a wood line that I wanted to hunt and was able to get to there. So it's a lot of walking. It's a lot of fun because there's a time where uh, I'm sure most of us enjoy to just sit and take in nature, taking creation and enjoy that style of hunting. But for me, I tend to be uh, high strung, liking to move sometimes. <laughs> and that's the exact way that I approach groundhog hunting. So yeah. I never, ever just sit and wait on a hole. I'm always walking. I'm always moving. I'm always planning the next, the next route. So that, those are the two big keys. And I guess the basis of, of how I typically hunt them. Do you ever find getting between them and their hole? Does that help? Like for a split second, do they kind of pause or freak out? I, I've been told that from my wife's uncle and uh, her, his son, my, you know, her cousin. And I had an experience I'll share with you in a second, but getting between them and their hole, does that help at all? It, it can in, in rare instances. So I would say, yes, that's true, but you've got to be perfectly between them and their hole and you've got to catch them pretty far from their hole, which a lot of times they're, you know, not more than, you know, 10, 15 yards from their hole. But I have had a couple of times where, like you said, I know where the hole is and I'm creeping along. I don't, I may not see them. Uh, and all of a sudden I, I find that I'm exactly smack dab on a linear line between them and their hole. And they will actually, what's interesting a lot of times is they will just flatten to the ground. Yeah. So they will completely flatten uh, and try to disappear into the ground as much as they can. Of course they can't, but they realize, oh crap, I'm caught. <laughs> I, I do not have a direct line that I can get back to that hole. So they will freeze there. Uh, so that, happens very very rarely to me though yeah so a story on that thanksgiving i believe it was 2013 and the reason i think it was that is we just had my daughter my oldest daughter and everybody had came to our house because we couldn't travel a whole lot with her and so the whole family my wife's whole family came to our house and i kept on having this groundhog that was digging holes underneath my shed and i had trouble getting you know um i didn't have a, a good 22 and well, Kate's cousin had started living with us up in our upstairs apartment that we have. And uh, we're all sitting there having family dinner and all that. We go into the big room and we can look out and kind of see. And all of a sudden we see that groundhog and he's out probably about 60 yards to the left of that shed. Mm -hmm. And Nick's like, I'm, I'm going to go get him. I was like, well, let me run upstairs. I'll, I'll get that gun. And he's like, well, he might not still be there. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll go get it. So I ran upstairs. I get the gun. I come down and I'm like, where's Nick? And all of the guys that are at the house are pasted to the window. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, <laughs> and we get out and I, I go up toward the window and Nick has gotten this wrench, a big old wrench in his hand. Um, and he has somehow snuck up on this groundhog and he is between it and the hole. And we'll just say that the groundhog did not fare too well with that, that encounter. He, he ends up killing this groundhog. Like all of us were just shocked that he was able to do that. But I think it was something about him in the hole. You know, like he was somehow able to sneak in his, uh, his dad has, has also been able to do that quite a bit. Like somehow gets out in the field and gets between them and their hole. And it, like you said, it kind of messes them up for a, a little bit, but yeah. I, I have not been that lucky. I can't even shoot. Like I stick my head out the window to get the gun raised and he's gone, you know? So it's, it You're definitely right. is not an easy thing to do. I don't think. Yeah. You, you, it's really hard to catch them uh, off or catch them in a place where they're not paying attention at all, you know, with, with coyotes and hawks and everything around and people of course too, they're, they're pretty on edge. Uh, so they're, if if you can see them often they've most of the time they've already seen they got you. good eyes yeah <laughs> now one one thing that i would say oh gosh i, I would say maybe three-fourths of my shots and and kills come from is that they often will make the fatal mistake of stopping for anywhere from one to ten seconds if you spook them before they go down into their hole. So, you know, I'm creeping along, I'm moving along. 
they're hard to see sometimes, especially once you get into May, June, and you're creeping along and you might bump one. One was out feeding or just outside of its hole and it will run back to its hole. But before it goes down, it will make that fatal mistake of stopping because it's the age old rule that uh, curiosity kills a cat, right? So <laughs> they'll stop and whether they're stopping and their whole body's outside of the hole or they pop down into the hole and shoot their head back up, whatever it may be. That is where a lot of my opportunities come from is that, that split second or that those couple of seconds where they give that opportunity. Now, the flip side of that is they're completely aware that uh, a predator is right there in their home. They know that they're in trouble. They're trying to get a last look to figure out what this thing is. And with all that being said, one thing that never fails is they are as quick or quicker uh, than a whitetail. <laughs> Once an arrow leaves that bow and, a, and the arrow is flying mm -hmm. through the air, yeah. uh, I regularly, regularly, even with a compound, but especially a recurve, have them move before the arrow um, meets its mark. I had a 15-yard shot last night with uh, my recurve, and uh, there's a blade of grass hanging right in front of right in front of the groundhog's neck. He was aware. He scurried back to his hole, but stopped. Drew held, held, build tension, let the shot break, and that arrow cut the piece of grass right where that groundhog was. But he was already back under the stump where his hole was before the arrow got there. And that's that's with a recurve, but. Uh, even with a compound, a respectable speed uh, out of a compound that I shoot, it it they just are quick. So that's yeah. that's another challenge too. Just because you've got the twenty yard shot, you know, broadside shot, whatever it may be, just because you've got it doesn't mean that you're going to beat them too. Oh, absolutely, man! That kind of gets me fired up to go groundhog hunting. I've never had this like burning desire, but I mean, it's it's almost well, it is June. So I mean, what like you said, what else can you do right now? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is a blast. You know, you can probably hear, hear uh, it from me, you know, nerding out over it and getting excited over it, but I love it. I, I've said before that if I had to pick and could only hunt one thing with a bow for the rest of my life, uh, I absolutely love to hunt deer, but it would be groundhogs because Damn, of the opportunities, cool. <laughs> because of the opportunities, because of the style of hunting. Uh, it's, you know, I certainly, certainly won't, um, take away from Western hunters, but you know, for us PA hunters or, or East Coast hunters, it's one of the closest things we can get to a either a spot and stock style of hunt or a, uh, a creeping around, moving around, covering ground type of hunting. So uh, it's it's really a blast. And one of the other benefits of it too that I always like to mention for guys is it is massively easier to get permission to hunt groundhogs than it is for turkeys, deer, yeah. etc. Um, I, as we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, uh, I just moved to central Pennsylvania in August and I do still hunt some of my, my harm, uh, farms around home, but you know, of course, being up here, I was looking for more farms to hunt or new farms to hunt by my, my new house here. And, uh, within just a, a couple of months time, um, I, I think I've knocked on maybe, oh, maybe half a dozen doors. And I don't think I've gotten any no's. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I can't think. The, the, only, the only, I guess, even no you could consider a no was I just knocked on the landowner's house and they said, hey, we, we sold the farm to so-and-so. So they now have, they now own it. We can't give you permission and I haven't tracked them down yet. No. So, um, but I've think, gotten. Do you think any of those properties would potentially become deer hunting properties for you down the road? Have you like asked or hinted around that or kind of waiting till later or just, <laughs> you just strictly want them as groundhog properties? Yeah, that's a great question. And a funny question because uh, yes, absolutely. They will, they will become deer properties uh lord willing and even a couple of the farmers that i've knocked on uh their door uh a couple of them i you know of course introduce myself go through my spiel talk with them and i asked to hunt groundhogs and uh a couple of them said yeah you can also hunt deer and and anything else you would like that eats my crops <laughs> uh, that with, is awesome yeah without even having to ask because you know 
as as you know and i'm sure a lot of listeners do too you know these some of these farmers are i should say all of these farmers are very hard working uh individuals and and it's their livelihood to be able to grow their crops uh farm their fields uh, take care of their livestock etc and deer groundhogs in particular really uh give them a hard time with eating their crops and um and damaging the land in relation to groundhogs so yeah. With that being said, some of them are just more than happy and more than willing to have someone go in there and help control the population. So um, I, I never I when I ask for groundhog permission, I'm 95 percent of the time I'm asking for the purpose of groundhog hunting. Yeah. And often, at least in my area here, often if if a farm has crops, it probably either has enough timber or at least bordering timber that will make it a, a pretty good deer farm. Even, you know, if my interest is just taking a doe, uh, which it often is. So, uh, definitely where I don't, I don't normally plan on it, uh, as, as an end to hunt deer, it often turns into that. And, uh, I often am thinking about it where, you know, when I'm hunting groundhogs, I think, uh, this is interesting. This looks like a good little corner. That would be a good tree for a stand or, you know, that looks like a bedding area, whatever it may be. That's a, I think it's really cool. I, I, um, my listeners know if they've listened for a little while, I, I kind of went the letter route uh, this spring. I sent out all 50 some letters and that led to about five new properties and 300 extra acres. And my, the thing I kind of used was really turkey hunting. I was trying to find some extra places to turkey hunt and take new guys, um, but I did mention, you know, in the letter, possibly deer hunt. And sometimes I think you're not trying to connive or be, you know, sneaky or anything. But I, I think a lot of these folks are very used to people coming up and just knocking on their door or saying, hey, can I hunt? I had one person tell me that they get asked like every other day, you yeah. know, they have a great property. It's a soybean field. They're getting hammered all the time by people that just want to come in and just hunt deer. So I think, you know, saying, hey, can I turkey hunt or a coyote hunt or do something to even help out? You know, I, yeah. I think like taking out a groundhog, they know that you're probably not in that for the meat, right? They know that it's right. it's it's a right. nuisance. And uh, it's one of those things that those things can, like you said, they can cause a lot of problems and, and giant holes and fields and everything else. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really cool. First off, you just go out and have fun. I mean, I, but the bonus is on cherry on top is you might get an opportunity to form a relationship with a landowner that could lead to some other types of hunts, you know, which is kind of neat too. Yeah. And you nailed it there with, with building the relationship, because I think two, three things that, that really help with getting permission to deer hunt is number one, like you said, of course, you're removing a nuisance and a lot of the farmers will view that as um, something they appreciate and they're, they're glad that you're there for it. But the second thing is that you're building a relationship with them. So, you know, you, you see the farmer, you, you talk to him a little bit. I've helped farmers bail hay just as another way to say thank you and give back. And then the third thing is you, you earn their trust. Um, I, the, the farmer was at last night. Um, I knew, knew the farmer's kids. So I was talking to the kids one day, asking if they had some groundhogs, if that would be something that, that I'd be able to ask their dad permission to get rid of. They said, yeah, you know, come down Saturday morning, we'll be milking in the barn and you can talk to them then. So I did. And, uh, and this farmer was, was standoffish, uh, and understandably so, you know, he didn't know me, he didn't know anything about me, but he gave me permission and, and said, you know, yeah, go ahead. So uh, since then, I've hunted on that farm, I think, four or five times and um, have removed a handful of groundhogs now. And I've talked to him a couple times and uh, he's seen me be consistent and actually show up and hunt, you know, the way that I asked if I could. And, um, you know, he sees me walking around the property and uh, just just kind of earn his trust and, and, you know, show the farmer that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm serious about this. I do it the right way and I do it the way. Uh, that that I had said I was going to and uh, last night when I was done done hunting I was putting my bow back in the truck and taking off my bino harness and whatnot and he was driving by with a manure spreader and he stopped his tractor and shut it off and said hey how many did you get tonight and I said oh I had a good night it was 
is able to get four. I got two up here by some of the old equipment and the corn silos and got two down around the field edge. And he said, oh, awesome, awesome. And uh, he said, hey, I've got uh, a couple other fields that I farm. Uh, I'd like you to, to go up there and park your truck and see if you could um, get rid of some of the groundhogs up there. So, you know, he, he had kind of kept that to himself. And uh, after you know, spending a couple, couple of hunts on his farm, I uh, was thrilled to hear that, you know, he had some extra, extra mm. land that he, he was going to open up to me. Um, so he um, ha had mentioned something about getting rid of some deer, but I'm hoping that that turns into a deer property too. But it's just, you know, the whole process is cool. Uh, just yeah. getting, getting to hunt, getting to hunt the farms, the private land that uh, I have no right to be on, but you know, someone is, is generous enough and uh, trust trusting enough that they're willing to let me do that and trying to respect it and enjoying it and uh, you know meeting them and getting to know them a little bit better during the process it's just it's it's a cool thing it's it's rewarding for sure mm, very cool well I, I kind of want to um, transition just real quick I want to hear you mentioned that you have a passion for groundhogs but I also kind of want to I, I would be remiss if I didn't hear at least one deer story so whenever <laughs> you think about deer hunting that I mean I'm starting to get the itch for that now you've kind of given me something to do in the meantime I'm, I'm definitely going to have to do yeah. this groundhog uh, I've, I've, I've never thought about just going out specifically for that but deer tell us a little bit about you know archery hunting for deer and some of your your stories there yeah. So as you were saying that I was racking my brain, you know, oh, what, what deer story could I tell? And, um, although I've been talking a lot about groundhog hunting, I, I really do love to hunt deer with a bow, uh, as, as you know, and everybody listening knows they're, they're a challenge to not only get within bow range of, but also to, uh, be able to make an accurate ethical shot. And for me, figuring them out, learning about them and beating them at their, their uh, attempt at survival is one of the most challenging things that uh, I've done to date. And I'm not that old, but I, I think that a lot of people probably feel similarly that, that man, it's challenging. And mm -hmm. uh, one, one hunt in particular that kind of ties this all together is where I had mentioned a little bit ago that I, I guess it would have been my first job, uh, was helping out at a horse farm. Um, all, all my life, uh, my mom has had horses and have been around horses and have enjoyed them. And she kept her horses at a farm that unfortunately is no longer uh, still there, but a farm in Mars, PA, which is my hometown. And it's a small 60-acre farm, but man, to me, it's just a, a piece of paradise. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people probably have that that one farm or property or piece of land that you know just they love and just means everything to them. And so I grew up on this farm, helping out, helping run the farm, doing doing different things around the farm. And as I got into this passion of bow hunting, uh, the one day I'd asked the landowner, you know, hey, I. Um, was wondering you know would would you allow me to to archery hunt for deer this fall and I had mentioned before that she doesn't let anybody hunt but she uh, with our relationship was more than willing and she was happy to have me so I started hunting that farm and learning that farm and enjoying it and it was a cool farm because it was basically a big big rectangle and right down the middle of the rectangle was a creek bottom. On one side of the rectangle was the horse pastures. And then the other side was, was big timber that had been logged a handful of years ago. So really great habitat, uh, thick, diverse, and held a ton of deer because in, in that town or, or Mars PA, that area, there's a ton of deer. And as the housing developments go up, they continue to get denser and denser. And um, as I was learning this, this farm and, and had some success, been able to take a couple of dough, uh, there was one night where I was in my absolute favorite stand. And this stand was towards one end of the farm and it was right along the, the horse pasture. Uh, I would duck under the, 
I would walk through the horse pasture, duck under the fence, go five yards and boom, hit, hit my stand on the wood line and climb up it. And it was one of those stands, the way it was set that I needed almost two sets of, of ladders uh, or two sets of sticks to get up. I think that stand was probably like 35 feet high, oh, wow. but to, to where I was shooting, it was no more than a normal, okay. you know, 15, 18, maybe 20 foot high stand. So this, this, uh, spot was neat because again it was right on the edge of the horse pasture horse pasture had a lot of uh clover and and just different good green uh, food sources in it and in the evenings at that time of year the horses were still being brought in at night or in the evening so afternoon evening rolls around they bring the horses in to stay inside they feed them etc then the, the horse pasture clears out and the deer just absolutely pour out and they were pouring in this particular spot they were pouring out of an old abandoned uh christmas tree farm and it was just a little 15 10 15 acre property that a doctor had owned uh had went abandoned it was used to be a christmas tree farm everything grew up and essentially this little 10 10 acre piece of pines uh, never got touched uh, by absolutely anybody. Nobody ever went in it. It was all posted, mm. again, abandoned. Nobody ever went in it. And on some of my best nights, uh, or on my best night, I counted 51 deer pour out of that, that wow. 10 acre piece yeah. uh, into, into this green pasture. And sure enough, I'm in this stand, uh, winds blowing down the pasture right into my face. The the uh, abandoned pine tree farm is uh, right up, right up the hill a bit to my left, and just a beautiful October evening. And I'm sitting in the stand, and the deer start to pour out. And it's a big pasture, so you normally see them come out, and uh, you'd watch them for a bit, and just to just get to enjoy the sights and the sounds, and uh, enjoy the evening. And it was a really a waiting game to see if they would feed down into bow range. And a group of doe, about a dozen doe, uh, feeding big, dark, mature doe is slowly feeding and slowly moving towards me. And at the time, I was trying my hand a little bit in self-filming, uh, which I, I never ended up uh, following through with, just wasn't my thing. But I was doing that that night and getting all set up, you know, and uh, going through the process and the stoves come into within range and she gets to about 34 yards and she's broadside and um, uh, camera is, is set on her. I'm just thinking about, you know, how much I love this farm and this, this place, this, this little slice of heaven that I've always known and get the camera on her. 34 yards drawback, aim a little bit low, being that uh, there was some decent distance to where she was at, and I let that arrow go. And she drops as I was anticipating. The arrow hits the mark. She takes off on a dead sprint, um, crashes right underneath of the, the horse pasture fence. And first thing I do is pull out my phone and, and call my dad and tell him, Hey, doe down. I got a doe. I put a great shot on her. I watched her crash. And, uh, you know, the, the approval of dad, right. You know, saying, Oh, awesome job. I'm, I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. Well done. Uh, just, you know, an awesome moment. And I hung up the phone and as my dad always taught me, you know, he said, Hey, no matter what, just stay in the stand for at least a few minutes. Even if you see, see the deer crash, let let her have some time make sure she expires soak in the moment and I was just sitting there up there in that stand um, you know just soaking in the farm soaking in the moment and that was the hunt where as I was sitting there I just said man like this like this right here to me is one of the the most special greatest experiences that that I could have I mean this is just this is just awesome. And I, I never want anybody to be prevented from enjoying a moment or an experience like this. Mm. And that was, that was the moment or that was the time when I decided that I was going to, on whatever capacity it was going to be, I wanted to start Archery Strong and help people with uh, either shoulder injuries, shoulder pain, shoulder issues, whatever it may be, 
I wanted to see if there was something I could do. I had no idea. I had no idea if there was a need or an interest. I just thought, hey, this is this is a way that I could make sure that at least one person uh, gets to enjoy these types of moments. And uh, that that was the night. It was. I don't remember the specific date, but it was towards the end of October, and uh, that was just one that will always stick in my mind. And as I briefly had said earlier, uh, that farm's no longer there. The the landowner moved on and sold the farm and it unfortunately is turning into a housing development like most mm. of the farms in that area but uh it's just a memory to me that will always stick out will always be special and uh, uh certainly means a lot and hopefully makes for for a decent story yeah it does man uh, you paint a really awesome picture and i think i've had those experiences in the woods too where it just is i don't know perfect is is a strong word but it's just pretty close i mean you're just sitting there enjoying the moment taking it taking a breath in you know knowing that you made a good shot that's just incredible and then i think it's kind of neat like you said how that led to archery strong and your desire to help people and i have to think that god <laughs> maybe had uh was had took a part in that you know kind of place in that because you're able to help people with something that is you know a passion for them you're able i know you're helping my buddy trav out and some other folks out that are definitely needing that so i think that's really cool yeah well thank you i appreciate it it's it's been a cool journey uh thus far so i think that what that speaks to me christian is i think whatever it is like for me i love hunting stories so i took that passion and I turned it into this, you know, a podcast, but obviously this is partly guys have listened to this is partly podcast about hunting stories, but it's also about faith and life and just lessons that we can learn. But I think it's important to take whatever it is. If you're like passionate about fitness, if you're passionate about archery, if you're passionate about, I don't know, groundhog hunting, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. And if you can find a way to take that and use it for some way to, you know, something to make God smile, I, I don't think we do it to like earn his favor, but I think there's something about just using those little things that he gives us a passion about and, and trying to find some way to use it to either help somebody or do something like that. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that you, you nailed it, Travis. Um, I, in my, I guess, short years uh, up to this point, I feel that I've seen numerous things happen in my life that are unique to my life and recognizing them as some sort of a bigger plan that, you know, although sometimes I get discouraged and think, well, you know, my life doesn't look like that, or my journey doesn't look like that, or my path's different and I wish it were different. Um, I've seen things that I know that God's just got his hand on and saying that, you know, Hey, this is your purpose. This is your thing for whatever time it may be for whatever significance it may be. I need you here. This is for you. And, and this is how you're going to make an impact on other people. And ultimately um, point everything back to, to God. And yeah. um, like you said, the, the passions for, each person are different and the experiences for each person are different. And again, you know, sometimes I catch myself thinking like, Oh, you know, this should be different or I wish that were different. But then I realize, you know, I, I want, I want my, my own story to, to be laid out according to what something bigger than me uh, has a plan for, because I know that under my own power and under my own, um, intuition i would not only fall short but i would uh, be led into mess up after mess up and it's it's not until i recognize that there's something bigger and more important than me in god that i am able to follow that plan follow that path follow uh with some trust in, in him and what he's laid out and that's a challenge. You know, I, I say that and it's, it's not at all to make it sound like it's easy. And once you do that, it's oh, yeah. something that's just a smooth road. Uh, each day has its own challenges, but uh, I, I continually have that battle each day with reminding myself that there's a reason, there's a purpose. Yeah. I need to do my part. And I know that, that God's got his hand on uh, the other components. Absolutely. And I think we're all going to hit those moments whenever we're doing something in life and we're going to sit back for a moment and be like, why in the world am I doing this? Like what is, and if your purpose for whatever that thing is, isn't beyond yourself and your own 
self-edification, glorification, whatever, I don't know what word to use, you know, your own self-ego, then it's going to be hard to really justify continuing to do it, I think. I, I think, yeah. so whenever you take a step back and you're like, oh man, this this archery strong, it's it's tough, or this podcast, whatever. But whenever I step back and I start thinking about why do I do this? What's the overall purpose of it? That's enough. Then I'm like, okay, this is a bigger thing than me. And because right. it's a bigger thing than me, I'm willing to continue to put those put the effort in because it's worth it. You know, even if, like you said, if I can help one person, then it's worth it. It's worth doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And there's, I think a a lesson in uh, being humble there and and having humility in that I, I, you know, will outright say that I'm one of the worst offenders and thinking of myself first too often and remembering that there's, there's billions of other people just like me with, you know, the same hopes, the same dreams, the same problems, the same struggles and, or different ones, but, but nonetheless uh, on the same level. And um, like you said, and you nailed it, that putting others uh, before ourselves and, and making that the mission is something that does take humility and, yeah. and it's really humbling. And I'm reminded of that each and every day, you know, is even as you say that, you know, taking a step back and remembering why, you know, I, I when, when I wake up each day, uh, you know, what am I gonna, going to do with this day? Is it just to push myself further along? Is it just to make myself look better? And, uh, and, and there are those temptations there uh, many times. And, yeah. you know, it's cool because conversations like this or, you know, conversations with my wife or friends uh, remind me that the, the focus is, got to shift away and steer away from that sometimes Hmm. good thoughts good thoughts well christian man i've I've enjoyed the conversation thoroughly i really uh if you would have told me you know somebody would told me this morning that i'd be having a conversation about groundhog hunting i would not (laughs) i i didn't know that was coming so that's awesome man (laughs) yeah i I really enjoyed it too travis thank you that's good well man i uh, appreciate what you're doing uh real quick let's give a little bit of information so if guys want to look up archery strong archerystrong.com that's pretty easy to remember you guys are on uh facebook and instagram right yeah. Yep. You nailed it. All right. Cool. Yep. Well, I'd encourage guys to go check that out. And Christian, thank you so much. I hope that you have a great summer. Enjoy going after those groundhogs and I uh, hope to catch up with you soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate the, the conversation. Thank you. Man, I enjoyed that. Had a great conversation with Christian. I uh, loved hearing his stories, loved hearing about Archery Strong, and also about groundhog hunting with a bow. That just sounds really fun. Um, something I'm definitely going to have to try. You know, I really appreciate his thoughts there at the end. I'm not going to add much more. I just would completely echo what he had to say. Take that passion, whatever it is, um, and and use it in a positive way. Um, sometimes we can let those things get the best of us. They can become all about us, become an addiction, become just too much of what we focus on. And I think I just think of the verse that says, whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. So take that passion that God put inside you and use it somehow to bless others or do something. Turn it loose. Be creative. Whatever you come up with. Start your own podcast. I don't care. Uh, figure out some way to use that passion to bless others and help people. And, and I think whenever it's all said and done, you'll, you'll be glad that you did. Guys, I want to thank you for coming back for another episode. I encourage you, be sure to go over to YouTube, check out uh, some stuff that we got up there. If you haven't seen all the turkey hunting footage that we got out, and uh, Instagram, we're still posting nice little pictures, and you can see some of the fishing escapades on Shedding Light Outdoors there. And uh, I think that's all the plugs that I have for today. Thank you for listening. Hope to see you next week. In fact, I know I'll see you next week. i got another guest lined up, so come back next week for another opportunity to hear more. Um, I can't wrap this podcast up. I'm just going to say thanks for listening, and remember to shed the light. <laughs>